Okay. What I'd like to do now before I preach um, from Romans 12, you can go ahead and find it in your Bibles if you'd like to. Um, I'd like for us to spend a bit of time in prayer together. And I'm just going to give you a few moments to pray just quietly uh, as we approach the Scripture. I don't know about you guys, but for me, this week has been crazy. And to just get here, when I walked into the prayer meeting this morning, I sat down with Ron and uh, Lee and Richard, and I just, ah, like, I made it. <laughs> and I don't know if anybody else has felt that way or not, um, but ah, we made it. And we're about to sit at the feet of our Savior, and we're about to hear uh, him speak to us. And I think what he has to say to us this morning is going to be very very beneficial in real practical ways to us. So I'd like to just take a few moments, not a real long time. I'm just going to give you some quiet to pray, to um, look at this time as you just laying aside all the stuff, all the stuff that's on your mind and on your shoulders that came in here with you. Just set it aside. Uh, Come to Jesus, everyone who is weary and heavy burden, and he'll give you rest. Uh, Let's just give our burdens to him, receive his rest, so that when we come out of our prayer time and we read his word, we're clean and clear and focused and we can hear him speak to us. So would you bow with me for a few moments of quiet prayer? Father, you instructed us in your word to be still and know that you are God. So we are together being still, looking to you. I pray that you would remind us that you are God, that you are sovereign over all. Lord, on behalf of your people here, I ask that you would enable us to lay down our fears and worries and burdens and entrust those into your hands and to commit ourselves to move forward according to your will. Those who are here with us this morning who are just wrestling with very difficult challenges, I pray that this morning you would speak to them and give them the resources they need to address those things. Build us into the church. I ask this morning that through your word you would uh, convict us deeply of the sins in our hearts that hinder us from being a united, active body of Christ. Please show us how you've gifted us each as individuals to serve and mobilize us to get to work and joyfully so. May we who call ourselves Doolin's Grove, all the Christians who are associated with this gathering of Christians called Doolin's Grove, may we be completely united as one body. 
I pray against all of the sources of division that we bring about, that our enemy brings about, that this world facilitates. Now as we look into your word and this passage, I trust that you're going to do amazing things in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for praying with me. So, did you miss Romans last week? Or did Jeff preach from Romans up in the mountains? And Richard here. We are in Romans chapter 12. Uh, We'll begin in verse 3. But before I do, the question I want you to be considering as we read this passage is, what is the church and what is your part in it? What is the church? You know, you've heard me say, don't go to church. I don't want you to go to church. I want you to be the church. I've said it so many times, you pro- probably there's some eye rolls by now when I say it. But I don't want you to go to church. I want you to be the church. In fact, you can't go to church. Technically, if you want to get precise about the language, you can't go to church. Church isn't a destination place. It's a group of people. So you can go be with the church, but you can't technically go to church and arrive, okay, I'm at the place called church. I mean, as you know, this building isn't Doolin's Grove. You are Doolin's Grove. And we, it's important to be careful how we talk about church. That's why I try to say, I try not to say, welcome to Doolin's Grove. Because that's a simple thing, but it, it, it's a little bit off. Because this, this isn't Doolin's Grove. You are Doolin's Grove, and I am Doolin's Grove. And that's not just new agey talk. That's biblical. If you, um, if you happen to have ever looked at our website, in December we transitioned to a new website. And I had a couple of priorities for it. I wanted it to be full of pictures of our people. And I really didn't care to have any pictures of our, our building. Because again, it's just another subtle way to encourage us to think of the church as the people, as us. Uh, I put on there, this is going to be over some of your heads, technologically maybe, but uh, the uh, website service that we use has these little plugins you can put on the website, just little widgets that do different things. And one of the ones I put on there is a Twitter feed. Okay, so Twitter is this program where any, anybody can join up and you just post little updates, what you're thinking, what you're doing, interesting links, funny anecdotes, quotes, whatever. So our Twitter feed isn't just of me, it's of all of our people that I'm aware of who are on Twitter. So on our website, you'll see on some of the pages on the right, just a, a every, I think, three minutes updating of Doolin's Grove Twitter feeds, our people. Now, granted, we don't have a ton of people on Twitter at Dillon's Grove at this time, uh, but the ones who do are on there. So a while back, one of our people tweeted, that's what you say, they tweeted, something that really wasn't church appropriate, okay? That, therefore, was on our church website, okay? Now, this is what we wrestle with, all right. So, is that misrepresenting the church? No, that is who we are. 
I mean, we, we can't expect our website to be some falsehood because what the world sees when they look at Doolin's Grove isn't, isn't the uh, polished glaze we want them to see. They see you at work. They see you with your friends. They see you driving down the road and all the hand gestures that go along with that. You, uh, you hear the confusion in this when um, we hear how we talk about other churches. Okay, so just for an example, this is my last thing before we read this passage and get into the real meat. Okay, just think about Elevation. It's just the big church everybody knows. It's the one that uh, is divisive in terms of people's opinions about it. Okay? Now, I've heard people say things as harsh as, I, I can't stand that church. Well, when you say you love a church or you hate a church, you're saying you love a group of people or you hate a group of people because the church is the group of people. Now, I know I'm getting very semantic I know often we think of the church as the institutional structure and uh, the image of themselves they project. I understand that. But to be clear, as you think about our church, you're thinking about our people. As you think about their church, you're thinking about those people. That makes sense? Okay. So now we're all in the fr- same frame of reference. Um, I bring this up because it is important, but also because in our passage, God gives us some really clear really simple, practical instruction about being the church. Okay? So if you're able, actually, everybody's getting ready to stand. Before I read it, I need to reconnect us to the previous two verses. It's been two weeks since we've been in here. Do you remember the week before last, we talked about Romans 12, 1 and 2? We had finally busted out of Romans 9, 10, and 11, all that difficult doctrine and theology. And we read Romans 12, 1 and 2. Let me um, refresh your memories real quick. Romans 12, 1 and 2, the passage that leads the way into what we're going to study this morning, says basically this. Based on God's sovereign mercies, these big things we've seen God doing in the world with the Jews and the Gentiles, and the fact that he is in control, based on all that, our only logical response is to offer our bodies over as living sacrifices. But there is a challenge to that. The challenge is the world's conforming influence. The world's always trying to put a mold down on us so that we'll look like the world and we won't be able to worship God bodily as a living sacrifice. The, the way to counteract the world in this is to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So two weeks ago, we tried to figure out what does that mean? And from the text, we concluded that it means testing and examining what's God's will in every specific situation that you face so that you'll know how to proceed bodily as a living sacrifice. Okay? And I gave you a couple of examples. Um, We talked about, you know, a kid who graduates high school and... um, wants to worship God as a bodily living sacrifice with with these decisions that he or she's about to make. So instead of conforming to the world's mold, which says, go where it's going to be fun, go where your buddies go, they go into the scripture and they use their concordance or they Google what does the Bible say for a recent high school graduate. And they, they find what the Bible says. 
And so they're transformed in the process and they're able to, in their decisions as a high school graduate, worship God by doing what's going to bring him glory, by doing what's going to serve others really well, what's going to be a good stewardship of their resources, those kinds of things. I have another example. This is a very personal one. And um, this has to do with me and Elias. I've tried not to include my kids as much in my sermons lately, but this is just such a good example. Um, Elias is six now. Has anyone in here ever had a six-year-old little boy? Okay. That comes with the new challenge of figuring out discipline and, and you know, how to instruct. So Elias is a bold, fiery personality. You've seen him. You know him. Um, I, just this last week, was noticing that the way I interacted with him during these times of discipline seemed to just make him really frustrated, which in terms, in turn would make me really frustrated. So I would act frustrated. He would act more frustrated, and we would just be a big explosion of frustration, and it would not be good for anybody. So I'm sitting here wrestling with this and talking with Meredith about this. I want to be a good dad. And man, it's not easy. Um, and my own words from my sermon come back to haunt me in the back of my head. Oh, so you want to be transformed into a godly dad. Well, how does one become transformed? By the renewal of my mind. How do I renew my mind? By testing and examining what's God's perfect will for me as a father. So I went up to my room and closed the door and I got my Bible, my little really frustrating blue notebook that will not stay open. It's a mistake. And I got my concordance of this Bible it's not the strongest concordance, but I looked up anger. That was the first thing I looked up, and actually that's as far as I needed to go. I looked up the word anger, and it gave me half a dozen, eight references. I looked up each reference. I wrote them down. I wrote down the gist of what they said, and I was just praying the whole time, God, transform me, help me, help me to not just understand your will, but to be able to live by it. Okay. By the end, I had these uh, seven principles that sort of revealed themselves to me. And I'm going to read them to you. Okay, the first thing, I learned this from Proverbs. I need to remember that controlling your anger is a massive challenge. So for me, when my little boy gets angry, for me to say, don't be angry, is ridiculous. We can't control anger that easily. So just a reminder God gave me, remember Controlling anger is a huge, huge challenge. It's not some easy thing. Okay, number two. Don't meet Elias' anger with my own anger. That's what I was doing. He was getting frustrated. I would get frustrated. And the Bible clearly says a harsh word stirs up wrath. A gentle answer turns it away. So just the way I respond, God gave me a little tweak there. Um... Yeah, the next one's about soft, softly answering rather than using harsh words. Uh, the next one, uh, in Proverbs, it teaches that quickness to anger really reveals a lack of understanding. So I learned from Proverbs, really, if I want to get down underneath this, I need to feed my understanding so I'm not so ignorant to get so frustrated. And Elias' understanding to teach, which corresponds with things that I was seeing in the New Testament, too. Um, to instead, it says in Ephesians, fathers, don't exasperate your kids. Instead, bring them up in the instruction and the discipline of the Lord. So instead of being exasperating, I can, there's ways I can bring them up 
using instruction and discipline. Um, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Uh, God kind of whispered in my ear, you know, you have a good nightly ritual. Use that to uh, just talk to him and see, is there anything, or talk to myself first of all, is there anything that's frustrating me? Is there anything that's frustrating you? Um, and it clearly teaches that anger is a work of the flesh that is only counteracted by the fruit of the Spirit. So ultimately what we both need is Jesus Christ and his work in our hearts. So I need to pray, pray, pray. Okay? Now I share that with you. It's a very personal example, but I felt, I prayed about it. I felt like, well, we're all family here. And I'm sure you guys have struggled with children issues too. And um, through that process, God did not, I'm not, you know, the Christian Bill Cosby father now, but God is transforming me. I know that he is. He's promised that through this process, he will. Um, So that's just an example of what that passage taught. Okay, so Paul says, be transformed so you can worship God. And then all the rest of this chapter is some very specific ways to worship God. And the very first one is by being the church. And that finally gets us out of the introduction into the passage. Now, if you'll stand with me, Romans 12, 3 through 8. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Thank you for standing You may be seated. So it's going to be a simple sermon this morning, which I know you're not used to that because we've been in some hard passages. But God just tells us very simply something not to do and something to do when it comes to worshiping God by being the church. Okay? What not to do. Verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. So, step one in worshiping God by being the church, examine how you've been thinking about yourself. Don't think too highly of yourself, more highly than you ought to think. Okay, so that's what not to do. Let's look at what we should do. It'll help shine some light on what he means by that. Okay, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but, the alternative, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So, one of the major challenges we face as individuals in being the church is pride. 
thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought. What's the alternative to that? Thinking lowly of ourselves? That's not what Paul says. The alternative to thinking too highly of ourselves is to think more accurately about ourselves. Instead of thinking more highly than we ought, think with sober judgment. That means clear, serious, accurate, correct judgment about who we are, especially who we are in the body of Christ. Why is the 80-20 phenomenon true of almost every church? Do you know what the 80-20 phenomenon is? 80% of the work that gets done is done by 20% of the people. The other 80% of the people, who knows what's going on with them. (laughs) You know, and generally, I mean, just as a real vague generality, that tends to be true. Well, think about a... um, a church member, not some actual church member, just a hypothetical church member who's disengaged, disinterested, maybe even harmful through, you know, laziness or immoral living or gossip or stinginess. There's a billion ways we can be harmful. Why are they that way? What needs to change? One probable suggestion from this passage is They think too highly of themselves. And it's not that they need to be taken down a peg. They just need to think more clearly and accurately about who they are. And I know everybody's thinking of somebody else. Nobody thinks he's talking to me. Everybody's thinking about other people. If you're thinking about somebody else right now, this is probably actually about you. So let's, in these... um, 10 minutes, 15 minutes together, let's allow the Holy Spirit to adjust our self-conception. Let's allow the Holy Spirit to confront us with who we really are, what, what part we really play. Let's gain some clear judgment. You with me? You awake? Some of you shook your head yes, and I know that you weren't awake before I clapped my hands. Liars. Okay, so what does he mean by think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith God has assigned? If we, if we were able to look at ourselves with God's clear judgment about who we are, what would we see? Well, he goes on to elaborate what he means in verse 4. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. So don't think too highly of yourselves. Rather, realize you are a part of a body here. You are a one part, an important part, but one part of a body made up of many parts. Just like your body has many parts. Some of them are small, some seem insignificant until they go wrong. And then they seem very significant. Has anybody experienced that lately? You broke something, you accidentally kicked something on a chair as you walked by, you even got a paper cut on an important typing finger. I was thinking about this over the weekend because I have environmental allergies and my sinuses hate me. They hate 
my face. They want to make my face miserable. Now, the sinuses are small little parts of my body. You don't even see them. They're behind the scenes. But when they're not cooperating, it affects a lot of the rest of me. It affects my eyes. My eyes get irritated and I don't, I don't want to read. I, don't, I just want to close them. It affects my whole head. I'm, I'm uncomfortable. It makes it hard to think clearly. I just want to, what I want to do is lie on the couch with a pillow on my forehead, my arm on the pillow for some weight to put some pressure on it. Now, if I'm lying on the couch with a pillow on my forehead and my arm on the pillow, I'm not doing anything else. I'm not mowing the yard, as you can see, as you drive by the parsonage this afternoon. I'm not preparing for my sermon. I'm not able to function. Even though they're insignificant, seeming little parts of my body. Now, what Paul is saying, you need to realize that that's you. You you may have a prominent, visible function in this body of Christ, or you may have a small, tiny, behind-the-scenes one that nobody even knows about or thinks about. But if you're not functioning, you're not just hurting yourself. You're hindering the entire body. All of us. So don't think too highly of yourselves. Think clearly and accurately about yourself. You are one of many very important parts of this body. Your function or dysfunction or lack of functioning doesn't just affect you. It affects all of us, as does mine. We are in this thing together. So Paul says, it's not just that we are united in Christ, we're all members of Christ. He says we are members of one another. Did you catch that? In verse 5, so though many are one, though many are one in Christ, and individually members of one another. So look at the people beside you. Look, actually, look at them. I know it's awkward and weird, but look at them. Look at the people behind you. Well, everybody can't do it at the same time because then you're just looking at the back of each other's heads. But Look back and forth at each other. See each other. Okay? You are members of each other. He's not saying you should be connected to each other. He's saying you are connected to each other. Maybe you didn't realize that's what you were signing up for when you accepted Christ and came to throw your lot in with this group of believers. Maybe you didn't realize that, you know, that cantankerous person over there, that you were actually going to be joined up literally with them, becoming a part of each other. But that's what happened. So, maybe you're unmoved by all this. Maybe your drowsiness hinders you from being moved by much of anything this morning. If you are unmoved, if you're not, if the Holy Spirit is not right now urging you to take your role in the church more seriously, you need to spend some time back in the first part of Romans understanding the gospel better. That's what Paul has taught us. It's understanding what God has done for us through Jesus that brings about the desire to live this way. So if you don't desire to live this way, don't act it. Don't pretend. Go back. Think more deeply about Jesus. Do you want this? 
thing that Jesus is doing for us? And if so, let him change you and transform you into someone who wants this. Now, if you are moved by this, here's what you need to do. And this is where it gets really practical. You need to act on it in real specific ways. Ways so specific you could even write them down on a piece of paper. And I would encourage you to. See, we've been studying some big philosophical and theological things. A lot of what we've been studying is how to think, what to think. And now God's telling us what to do. And there is something to do, okay? So it's almost like we're receiving our assignments now. Not to earn God's love because we've been loved by God through Jesus. So this is practical. This is concrete. This is real. Um, We're about to get into a list in verses 6 through 8. Before we do, consider in what ways have you been thinking too highly of yourself? In what ways have you been hindered from serving the people of this church because of thinking overly highly of yourself? And this comes down to issues of forgiveness. This comes down to issues of humility. And secondly, I want you to think about how has God gifted you as an individual to serve in the church? And this is where we get into this, this list. And I'm, I'm not going to spend a ton of time on all these items. And let me say one quick thing about gifts, spiritual gifts, and lists of spiritual gifts. There is no exhaustive list of spiritual gifts in the Bible. People can't even agree on which ones are even fully included in the Bible. There, this list and other lists are there to help us think about how God might have gifted us. Uh, you may experience one gift early in life and experience uh, an increase in another gift later in life. It's not a, uh, it's not a, when you come to Christ, God gives you a little pouch and inside is your gift and that's your assignment for the rest of your life as a Christian. These are different ways the Holy Spirit enables us to serve. So, Do a little self-examination as we work through this gift list. In verse 6. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to your faith. I doubt that there's anyone in here who thinks that they have the gift of prophecy, but maybe I'm wrong. The gift of prophecy and some of the more charismatic gifts are a confusing subject in the Bible. If we just take this at face value, though, there are some people that God gifts to speak in a way more deeply connected with God than others. I, you know, I grew up Southern Baptist, and what I was taught was that there were certain spiritual gifts that just ended once the Bible had been created. Prophecy was one of those. We don't need it anymore. We've got the Bible. That's how I was taught. But then I worked with a guy at a warehouse named Curtis Nivens Jr. who told me he had the gift of prophecy. And then he told me I was going to be a pastor one day. I don't know. I don't know. But if, if you feel or suspect that maybe God has gifted you in some way to speak in some way more deeply connected with God, verified by his word in some way, then you need to pursue that. Okay, let's keep moving. 
if service in your serving. Some of you may have a disposition to serve more deeply, more effectively than others. If that's you, then serve. The one who teaches in his teaching. Some of you have been enabled to understand things clearly and be able to communicate them clearly. If so, use it. The one who exhorts in his exhortation. Exhortation is kind of like encouragement on steroids. It's encouragement, but with a much more of a lifting up uh, an effectiveness to it. Some of you have the ability to, and you've done it for me, just say a word of encouragement that also points me in the right direction. It's encouragement, but also toward something good. Some of you have a gift for that. Use it. The one who contributes in generosity, that's giving. Some of you have been gifted with two things, resources and a generous heart, a desire to help people. Use it. The one who leads with zeal. Some of you people follow, whether you ask them to or not. That's a gift. Use it well. The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. This is sort of what you think of when you think of deacons and deaconesses. Um, Think of the most vulnerable, the widows and orphans and single mothers and children of uh, neglectful parents, the, the really vulnerable. Some of you are gifted to get in there and serve that in those situations. The point is, God has done great, amazing things for us through Jesus. Part of that is he's enabled us to be his body on the earth, which is awesome. And so now we need to do it. We need to work and act. So I want you to really consider how has God gifted you? How might you serve as part of the body of Christ? It doesn't necessarily mean an official position or function. It might just mean giving somebody a hug after this service. It might just mean making a phone call, inviting somebody to lunch. It might just mean giving more than you've been giving. We've been enabled to do this. You may have noticed it's by grace that Paul says this to us in verse 3. It's according to the grace given to us in verse 6 that we're able to use these gifts. So I'm going to sum it all up in one sentence, and I'm going to entrust this into your hands. You have not responded to this sermon until you have at least one clear cut act of service that you're going to do to serve your brothers and sisters of the church. Okay? You've not responded to the sermon until you have some clear cut way you're going to act to serve the church, to serve people outside of the church as the church. So I'm going to sum it up and I'm going to pray for you. And as we sing our closing song, it's just more time for you to absorb this and pray through your response. Based on all God has done in Jesus, offer your bodies 
via your gifts as one united living sacrifice. The church. The body of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that you take us who don't deserve it and you clean us up and you give us gifts and you enable us to do to take part in your amazing work in this world and in each other's lives. Please help us and uh, convict us of the times that we think too highly of ourselves. Instead, give us clear, sober judgment about ourselves. Help us to see clearly how we're connected to each other in Christ. Reveal to us the ways in which you've gifted us. Help us to see how to use those gifts. For your glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.